Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. This very morning, you may be seated. Listen, my brothers and sisters in Christ. What we ought to do isn't always the easy thing to do. As a matter of fact, more often than not, it's the hard thing to do. The road less traveled is only called the road less traveled because it's the harder one to take. People often say that the way of grace, that is the way of receiving salvation through Jesus' life and his work on the cross as a free gift by faith, they usually say a lot of times that's the easy way. Well, in one sense, let's be honest, it certainly is. 
Jesus pays the price that we should have paid. And we get off free and we get his perfect record counted to our account so that when God sees me as messed up and as sinful as I am, he doesn't see me. He sees his son. And in that sense, yes, salvation is free. And it's to be received freely by by faith. Yet, those who receive so great a salvation in Christ are called, now listen, (laughs) this is where the easy road gets to be the hard road. Those of us who have received that grace are called to go and extend, extend that same grace to other sinners who offend them and make their life very difficult. And in turn, when these people return and they repent and they ask their forgiveness, we're called to forgive the way we've been forgiven. Now, all of a sudden, the adjective easy is not going to be the one you're going you're to use to describe the Christian life. Can I get a witness? Easy, by the way, just became humanly impossible. Impossible. Think about it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I always am. So I don't know why I say that. I would rather the Lord's Prayer stop I give us this day our daily bread. And then I say, great, let's go eat. <laughs> but instead, I know right I know I know what's coming right after that. Right? I'm feeling all good and holy, you know, thy will be done on earth as it is. Give us this day. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debt, you know, our debtors. It's, well, the particular case before us this morning is a huge case in point that to forgive others the way we're forgiven is not an option for the follower of Jesus Christ. It's our calling. And here we have this dear friend, this dear brother, this actual fellow worker in gospel ministry of the Apostle Paul and his disciple Timothy. Philemon was about to be asked to do something so extremely hard for a man in his position. Literally, I would, I would venture to say without exaggeration, he was about to be asked to do the most difficult thing he had ever been asked. I mean, there's a very strong chance that that was the case. He was being asked, now I want you to see this. I'm going to give you just a little flavor of what's actually being asked of Philemon here before we get dig into the details. First of all, he was being asked to forgive his runaway slave for abandoning his post and possibly even stealing from him. So let's understand that. He was asked to just release him from that, forgive him, not hold it against him. Secondly, he was asked not only to be reconciled to him in terms of the master-slave relationship, but as a spiritual equal in the church of Jesus Christ. A brother in Christ, And then if that wasn't enough, this this is, uh, listen to this one. His spiritual mentor, and the one who led him to Christ, by the way, and co-worker, the Apostle Paul, was going to ask him to even take one more step, possibly, and perhaps even release him from slavery so that he would be free. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a fly on the wall when Philemon first received this letter, 
I could hear him saying, Paul, you go too far. You, go, you just stepped in it, man. That, you, you know, you pushed me beyond my limits. You know, I, it was hard for me to swallow all the way up to that point. But think about it. Think about how he would have to face the rest of the church, how he would have to face the rest of other slaveholders and be like, dude, you're making us look bad. If you do this, then what does that say about us? You're going to ruin us financially. So what we see here is Paul's asking him to take him back, not as a mere slave, but as a dear brother, and as a fellow recipient of God's grace, grace in Christ. That Philemon is to extend that same grace, the same grace he received from Paul when Paul preached the gospel to him, that he received through the gospel, I should say, is that grace Onesimus has received by the very same vessel, the Apostle Paul, and now Philemon is to model that, and we'll, we'll look more about that in just a few moments. Now, what we're going to see in this brief letter, and I think it's powerful, is a, such a beautiful example of how the gospel works in a child of God's heart to motivate him or her to extend the same grace that they've received to others. Not out of compulsion, but willingly out of a heart that's been changed, that's been renewed, and that's been set free by the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I never realized that before. I've read this epistle many, many times. I've heard some sermons on it in the past. But I never realized that's what it's really about. And so what we're going to see here is that the Apostle Paul lovingly appeals to his friend and co-worker in Christ to forgive and restore his runaway slave Onesimus. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see the backdrop of his appeal. What's the backdrop of this appeal? Then we're going to see the basis. What does he base his appeal on? That's going to be an important one, so stay with me. And then last of all, we're just going to take a few moments at the end to kind of look at the appeal itself. Just a few characteristics. Now, we're not going to go over everything we went over last week, so if you'll see me skipping certain things, go back and, and listen to it online. That's why we record the sermons, one of the reasons. Okay? All right, so take a look at this first one. The backdrop of his appeal. This was a strong one for me to see. Now, Philemon, as we, just from reading the text, that's why I read the whole text this morning, we, we note that Philemon was a faithful believer in Christ. You know, I, I hear, I do listen to many sermons because I do like to hear how other brothers in Christ uh, share the word, and there's so much for me to learn. But sometimes they say things that aren't warranted in the text. And one person was, was going on and on about how stubborn Philemon was, and Philemon was this, and we don't see that at all in this text, do we? What you see, the picture that Paul paints in his letter is of a faithful, godly, holy, gracious man of God in Philemon. Notice some things about him. He hosted worship in his house. Now, back in the day, they didn't have church buildings. When the, in, in, in Jerusalem, if you remember, when thousands of them got saved, there was no room. They went in the temple courts to worship. And then when they would go to smaller cities and there were smaller congregations, they would depend on the more wealthy converts in the community to open up their home so there would be space. Well, Philemon was one of those folks who said, you can meet at my house. I'm going to be hospitable, not just to have a couple people over for some crab sauce or something. I'm going to have you over all, for all our meetings 
This is going to be not only where I live every day to day, but this is going to be where the church meets. I want you to understand how inconvenient that really is. And yet Philemon, and as many um, folks point out, a lot of commentators do point out, and this is where I totally agree with them, it seems to me that Aphius would be his wife. Why else would Paul be addressing some random lady? <laughs> and Archippus would be his son. Because this is, he is writing to Philemon and his household. And obviously it would be very important for them to be in on Paul's request to, to um, accept Onesimus, right? This isn't just to Philemon, it's his wife, who he calls a dear sister. And notice who he, what he calls Archippus, a fellow soldier. And if you look back in Colossians, that's the guy that Paul says, see to it, hey, tell Archippus to complete the work in the Lord. That, that he's been given. And so Archippus, in some measure, he was a gospel minister as well. He had gospel ministry. So he was very um, active in the church of Colossae. Um, obviously, um, Aphius was with her husband hosting the church. This, what we have a picture of is a wonderful little Christian family in Colossae that hosted the church there. And notice here also how Paul addresses Philemon. He calls him what? a dear friend, and he also calls him a co-laborer, a co-worker. And so we look at verses 4 to 7 briefly, and we'll see that Philemon was a genuinely converted child of the living God because notice what Paul does. He thanks God for the report he heard concerning Philemon's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for all the saints. So the backdrop of Paul's passionate plea, that's all to say this, the backdrop is that the godly, faithful Christian character of his dear friend and co-laborer in Christ, Philemon. So listen, this is what you have to understand. Philemon was no nominal Christian. You know, we use that word sometimes. We talk about that, what I mean when I say, when we say nominal Christian, it's those people who profess to follow Jesus with their mouth, but then when you examine the fruit from their lives, remember that old commercial in the 80s? You end up being like one of those little old ladies that goes, where's the beef? That wasn't Philemon. Man, he had like filet mignon. And the proof of that was Paul said, I got reports. And most likely the reports came from who? Epaphras. Remember in Colossians, he was the church planner and the pastor in Colossae. And probably even Onesimus probably spoke highly of his master. That's where he would have heard it from. And he heard about the faith that he had. And how did we know he had faith, great faith in the Lord Jesus? One of the great signs that you really belong to Jesus by faith. You really take to heart the gospel message. You've closed with Christ. Is that you love his people. As messed up as they can be. As annoying as they can be. As totally different than you as they could be. You still love them. I was just at that, um, the celebration of Pastor Dan, a good colleague of mine in the gospel ministry from Baltimore, the church I used to serve at as an associate. I was just at his retirement celebration, and one of the things 
you know, everybody gets up and talks, and it's one of those nights where everybody's crying, and, and of course, I, I was, like, thinking I was, wasn't going to break down, but I got, like, one word out, and I was like, Bruh! because one of the things that he taught me, and, man, this is, like, the main thing, is he taught me um, the lesson of love, that a pastor is a shepherd. And, yes, preaching is, is of utmost importance. That's what a pastor does is he feeds the sheep the word of God. And Can we get an amen? amen? But the other thing about a pastor is, is that he loves for and cares for his flock. And he was, Pastor Dan uh, was a man who, who exemplified that for me. It's a model for me to live up to. That sometimes is hard because he really was and is still a shepherd of, of God's people. And it was what we need to remember, and what even Philemon here remembered, is that as difficult as the people of God may be, you know, people say sometimes, I've heard fellow pastors say this, and, and, and I do have to smile when I hear it, you know, um, shepherding a flock of, of, of people, of Christians, uh, I know the Bible calls them sheep, but sometimes it's like shepherding a bunch of cats. <laughs> and I got to say, man, ain't that true, <laughs> you know? Uh, but he has to, But what we have to remember, what Philemon remembered is, these are the people that Jesus spilled his precious blood for. These are the people we are to love the way. And, and the, the beautiful thing about Philemon is, he loved God's people. So Paul says, Henry Ward Beecher once asked a young minister, this was deeply convicting to me in my uh, younger years, and it still is now, but he once asked a young minister, do you... He said, you love to preach, don't you? And the young pastor said, I sure do. But then he said, do you love the people to whom you preach? Amen. A lot of us pastors, we, 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 uh, we long to be behind a pulpit and preach. Amen. That's what I want to do. Amen. But are you preaching to the people that are in front of you with their needs? and their circumstances, and their lives, and their hearts, and their troubles. While Paul genuinely commends Philemon for his faith in Jesus, which resulted in love for all the saints, he goes on to pray for him. And he prays that God would help him to continue working faithfully or walking, excuse me, faithfully the path that he's been walking in the gospel. He does that in verse 6, but I want to draw your attention to verse 7. And he says this interesting thing. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now I have a little quote here. I think it's my only quote from a commentator. But it was so powerful, I thought, hey, if somebody says it better than me, it ain't about me, it's about Jesus. So Curtis Vaughn says this, and he quotes, he quotes another commentator in the quote. So how do you like that? I'm quoting a quote that quotes. For all you quote hater, haters out there. All right, so Curtis Vaughn says this, listen. It probably never occurred to Philemon that his loving deeds that refreshed the hearts of the Colossian Christians would bring joy and encouragement to his friend Paul imprisoned in faraway Rome. Now listen, this is powerful. 
but as a pebble that has been cast into a lake sends out widening circles. So, and here's his quote, the smallest deeds and words, good or bad, have an expanding influence. What is done or said here may be carried by the winds like seeds to the ends of the earth to make or mar, to gladden or sadden other souls. I remember when I was in upstate, uh, I wasn't even thinking much about it, and there was a new member, we have new members class, as we're, we're doing here, and we had a new uh, member come up to be received. And I just made an off comment like, uh, his name was Charlie, his first name. I said, Charlie, like me, had a, a rebellious past, um, and he didn't walk with Jesus, but God did a mighty work in his heart by his grace, and he's a new man, and, and I just see the love of Jesus in, in Charlie or whatever. And I just said something very encouraging and true. And then I don't know how long down the road, years down the road, I was having lunch with someone from my presbytery, you know, a presbyter. And he just said, I heard about what you said. Um, Charlie's my cousin. And um, I just want to let you know it meant a lot to me. You know, I'm kind of eating going, I only use that because it was such a little thing, but that was a pebble, right? A pebble that reverberated. I didn't even realize how far that little thing went. And so what happened here is Philemon's love for the saints reverberated all the way to the Apostle Paul, and it made his heart glad, and it refreshed him as a minister and an apostle of Christ Jesus. So that is, the, that is the backdrop of where Paul's going to go with this. We need to see this. I want you to understand, this is a normal, godly Christian man we're talking about. Not some extra stubborn or hard case. He's just a man of God who happens to be a slave owner, which was a very normal thing in that culture. Crazy, but it was normal. So this was new for him here in this stuff. So the second thing. And I don't think that's, uh, this won't be as long as a point, but it's an important point. We're going to see the basis of the appeal. So look at ver the end of verse 8 and verse 9, I believe. This is where Paul, this is his basis, what he bases his appeal on to, to release Onesimus, to forgive him, first of all. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis, here's the basis, of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also, what he's saying here is, in chains for Jesus. Now this is the key to understanding Paul's request of Philemon. This is what he's saying. You have to understand what he's saying. He's saying, although I would have every right to appeal to you on the basis of my authority as an apostle of Christ Jesus, and though I would have every right to command you, to forgive and to let him go. And I receive him at least as a brother. And possibly let him go, I should say. He's saying here, I'm not going to exercise that right. I'm not going to play that card. Instead, notice what he bases his appeal on. Not on his position. But he bases it on what? Love. <clears throat> and I think in context, he's not just basing it on love in general. I believe in context, he's basing it on Philemon's love. Let me explain. In effect, Paul's saying, you know that love that you have for all the saints? You with me? Because Philemon would be feeling good as he's been hearing up to that point of the epistle, right? 
I've heard of your great faith and your love for all things. This is great. He says, well, you know that love you've been pouring out on the people of God in Colossae? Well, now this is what I want you to do. On the basis of that love, I want you to pour that same thing out on Onesimus. On the basis of that love that you have for Jesus and his people because of what he did for you, I want you now to receive him back and forgive him. Not just as a slave, but because he too has come to faith in Christ through my teaching, I want you to receive him as a dear brother. Now here's the point. Paul doesn't want to command him or try to force him to do what he wants at obligation. But rather, this is what Paul's doing. This is, now look, this is cool because this is really going to apply to our own lives here. Um, specifically when we think about how we are enabled to walk with Christ and to live the Christian life. Paul is appealing to Philemon's new nature. The new nature that's created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know, in Colossians, put off the old man, put on the new, which is being created to be like God and righteousness and holiness. You know, when you got saved, God did a new work in your heart. He put a new principle. He put a new heart. And you are a brand new person. That's what Paul is appealing to in Philemon. And that he would do what he's called to do spontaneously out of love for Christ and his people and even the lowliest of his people. That's precisely what he says. He says, I did not want to do anything without your consent. Why? So that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. It's good stuff and it's instructive for us. This gives us a great glimpse at how the gospel works in our own hearts and transforms us. Listen, this is so important. This stuff was the stuff that got me excited right here. This is how the gospel works in our hearts and transforms us from what? Guilt-laden moralists who resentfully attempt to do what is required of them out of coercion and mere duty. You ever live like that? Instead, it transforms you from that to, joy, to a joyful servant of Christ, giving of ourselves freely and gladly out of grateful hearts that all for, out of thanksgiving for all that Jesus has done for us to settle the debt that we owed. There is a world of difference between a moralist and a Christian, my brothers and sisters. And I know because a little moralist in me likes to keep coming up. And I got to kill him. In the name of Jesus. And when I hear myself complaining, i gotta, I got to step back and even laugh sometimes. Really? I'm complaining about this, that, and the other thing? And Jesus had nails in his hand? Because of me? And I can't put up with this one little inconvenience? What's wrong with me? I should say, compared to what he did, this stuff, I'm, I'm happy to be. And you know what? And that's in the early church. How else can you explain people after they got flogged in their backs, raw, leaving the building smiling and rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. How do you explain that? The gospel changed hearts. The forgiveness of sins. The grace of God in Christ Jesus. God creates us anew in Christ Jesus. He gives us a new heart that actually wants to do what is good. That's why I quoted from Titus earlier. It says that, 
Uh, why don't we, oh, we can't go back. That's okay. I'm going to do this by memory. Um, where he says that, that God uh, redeemed us, right? Um, redeemed the people for himself, and notice this, who are eager to do what is good. That's what happens when the gospel's in your heart. You're eager to do. God, what can I do? Now listen, just a few more things on this point, and then one more and we're done. But this is such good stuff, I'm going to keep you here a couple minutes. We're going to feast a little bit, all right? Then we can go have lunch later or whatever, all right? It means that when God exhorts us through his word to love and to good deeds and to forgive others, there's actually something inside of us to appeal to. This is what I mean. Sometimes when you deal with rebellious children, sometimes when you deal with someone, a a, a difficult relationship, and you're trying to to appeal to them to do the right thing. Did you ever notice you look in there and you're trying to find just a little spark? (laughs) Yeah, you you know what I, like just like a little spark in there that you might, like, you know, hello, is anybody in there, you know? Am I touching anything in there? Is there any emotional thing? Do you have any consciousness? The beauty of when God does a work in somebody's heart is there is something there now. There's a work of grace to appeal to. There's a new conscience. There's a new heart. And sometimes, I'm not saying sometimes it don't get gooked up and it starts, it needs a little cleaning in terms of, you know, the pipe gets a little stuck or whatever it is, but, but it's there in all of us if we know Jesus. Something that was there that wasn't there when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And there's something in here that actually sides with the Holy Spirit even when he convicts us. We go, you're right. You're right. What in the world was going on here? This is a perfect God-breathed example of how the gospel goes to work in a humanly impossible situation to make a first century slave owner with everything to lose, humanly speaking, willing to do the right thing for the love of Jesus and his people. And Paul uses many strong gospel encouragements to help him follow through and do what he's asking. And that's the last thing I want to point out. We're only going to, we only have time for a few things, but I want, to, want you to take a look at this last thing, the appeal itself. So let's take a look at some of the specific motivations that Paul is going to use now. Now, that was all the warm-up. I'm only going to list a few. I'm only going to camp on one or two. Okay, so first of all, one, one thing, why um, Philemon should comply with this request. Number one, Paul says, because Onesimus has become my son through the gospel. So he's my son to me. And Philemon, as my dear friend, as my co-worker, I'll take it personal if you receive him back. He's my son. Think about that. You know, uh, I have sons, and I know uh, sometimes they're knuckleheads and they deserve discipline, and sometimes I have, you know, people come to me and say, dude, I'm sorry I had to do this. I'm like, hey, I don't blame you. But it also blesses my heart when people do a kindness to my son. And I do take it personal in the right sense, that you did me a solid, I owe you, so to speak. Thank you for treating him like that. The other thing, we mentioned it last week, so I won't go in detail. He's become useful. Now he's true to, true to his name. He used to be useless, now he's useful. Take him back, he'll be helpful. 
Number three, I'm sending him back. Now listen, here's, why do I say I'm sending him back? Why is that motivation? Because Paul's saying, I could send him away. <laughs> I could say, dude, man, you don't want to go back to that slavery thing. I'll kind of help you be on the... Instead, what he's saying is, look, we're doing the right thing here. I'm sending Onesimus back to make things right. Now do the right thing and don't make, don't make me look bad with egg on my face. I told him all these great things about what a godly man you are. I want to see you acting rough with him. Fourth, now this one should choke you up a little bit. He said, he's my very heart. So I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity by the grace of God, and I hope you do if you haven't yet. There's still plenty of time by the grace of God. If you've ever led someone to Jesus, it's a very special relationship. And so Paul's not exaggerating when he says, he's my heart. I've seen him when he was on a road to destruction, and now he's on his way to heaven because of Jesus. And I've seen a change in him. He's like my heart. And I'm sending my heart back to you. I'm entrusting my heart with you. Notice it's all love, right? It's all motivated by love. And then he says, then he says a little smart thing here. He goes, you know, and uh, he's been kind of filling in for you and ministering to my needs since you couldn't be here to help me out. So in other words, he did you a solid. You should have been here helping me out. I'm the one who led you to Jesus, and I'm sitting here rotting. In the, no, not rotting, but I'm in a prison. And you know what? Onesimus, he's been faithfully taking good care of me in your place. And then, of course, he goes on to say, I would like to keep them, actually. He goes, but I, I don't want to do anything without you doing without your consent. So I'm going to send them back. And then he says this, he's dear to me and dearer to you as both a man and as a brother in the Lord. So I told you I'll be quick. So I just want to point that out in little sketch notes. So that's why he should take him back. But how should he take him back? Wow, here's the clincher. Look at voice 17, verse 17. Take him back, welcome him rather, as you would welcome me. Whoa. Paul's saying, imagine I'm coming to your house. How would you treat me? How would you take me back into your heart and your life? That's the way I want you to take Onesimus. Look at verses 18. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention you owe me your very life. <laughs> Gotta love Paul. I do wish, brother, he says, to continue, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Oh, and one thing more. <laughs> Whenever anybody says that, by the way, but, oh, one more thing. Remember that Columbo? You ever watch that show, The Mystery? Whenever he said one, you knew the, uh-oh, this is going to be like the clincher. This ain't just one more thing. This is like the, the zip, you know? One more thing, he says. Uh, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. <laughs> what Paul's basically saying is, I'm following this, this up. I'll be there to see how things turned out. Just saying. That's kind of his thing. Just saying. Now, why such a strong conclusion? Why such passionate pleas? Why so filled with deep emotional content? You, it's all over. It, it, Paul says, I write this in my own hand. You've got to understand, Paul normally had an amnuesis. I don't know how you pronounce that. But Paul had a person that would write the letters. He would dictate it, and they would write for him. 
So when Paul is saying, I write this in my own hand, that's a serious thing. So that it could be identified as his, making sure that they're... Imagine you're getting this request. I can see why you would say, how do I know this is from Paul? <laughs> right? Because that, listen, that's the point that I'm getting at. Because all the powers of hell, all our remaining corrupt nature, will work all they can to prevent Philemon, listen, this is important, from modeling the gospel to his family, to his church, and to his community by forgiving and restoring Onesimus without punishment and taking the hit for Onesimus the same way Jesus took the hit for us so we could be in joyful, happy communion and fellowship with him once again, not as, as restored slaves, but as completely forgiven sons. You get that? The point is, Philemon's sinful nature would come up with every excuse in the book. Yeah, but you don't, yeah, but, you know those yeah, buts? I hate that but stuff. There's no but, there's just and in this equation, so to speak. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm going to quote from two Martin Luthers here. Martin Luther King Jr. said the church shouldn't be, too often the church is the taillights. And we should be the headlight. Church needs to be the headlight in justice. But the church also needs to be the headlight in mercy. Philemon had an op- what an incredible opportunity to model the gospel in the flesh to his family, to the church that met in his house, and then to the society, his fellow slave owners. This, this, had, this is why this little epistle is in the Bible. It was a moment of truth. This was a time, you know, there are those moments in life that you may not ever get back again where this is, you know, it was for such a time as this. What will you do? And I want to show you, we're going to close with this, I really am. I want to show you that the, the gospel is in Philemon in a way you may not have seen it. You may notice how Paul models the gospel for Onesimus. And I'll tell you how he does that. He says, listen to Philemon. If Onesimus owes you anything, what does he tell him? Charge it to my account. I'll pay. Does that sound like somebody? Who's that sound like? Jesus, as it were, said, Father, if Santo owns, owes anything, char- charge it to my account. Amen? That's the gospel. And now Philemon has the opportunity to do the same. He has the opportunity to say, Onesimus, owed me, I'll pay. That would be shocking to his wife, it would be shocking to his son, it would be shocking to the Colossians, and it would be certainly shocking to the watching world. Luther said this, And I'll close with it. What Christ has done for us with God the Father, that St. Paul does also for Onesimus with Philemon. For Christ emptied himself of his rights and overcame the Father with love and humility so that the Father had to put away his wrath and rights and receive us into favor for the sake of Christ, who so earnestly advocates our cause 
and heartily takes our part, for we are all his Onesimuses if we believe. My brothers and sisters, we are God's Onesimuses, but I think we need to remember we're also called to be God's Philemon and forgive fully as we've been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful word from you. And literally impossible to do apart from your grace, which is real and powerful and at work in those who believe. And so, Father, we only pray for what you have promised to give your people. The grace to do what we ought to do. Forgive and restore and trust you with the outcome and even give up our rights and even accept suffering if that's the case because we followed you in faith. And, oh, Lord, the world needs to see the gospel in action. Have mercy on us that we might be the vessels that they see it through. We pray it so you'll get all the glory because it's only you that does anything good in us through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.